Welcome to the Pedar Vapisar podcast. My name is Billy Hoosh, and Pedar Vapisar means father and son. It's the name of the YouTube web series that we had going on since 2008. In today's episode, we continue on my story of living in Japan, my experiences there, and basically the origin stories of why we came about making YouTube videos. Anyways, I hope you enjoy. Okay, we're back. It's July the 10th. It's a Saturday. This will be released on a Sunday. We're continuing off the story of where I was at, um, finishing comedy school. So we talked about how the second year of comedy school wasn't what I expected. I was starting to get very salty, very broody, broody very much attitude, sullen behavior. And um, we had, at the end of the two years, there was an industry show where we would do perform the best of our best of our class in front of 2,000 people. It was an audience of 2,000 people at Cam H, which is the center of mental illness or whatever. It's basically the, the ins- was it center of addiction and mental health of Toronto. Downtown Toronto, the big mental institution, they had a nice big auditorium stage 2,000 people, family, friends um, gathered, as well as agents. So scouts, acting agents, comedy agents, talent agents were there to watch the best of our classes show. I was in a few sketches, as well as I was asked uh, from, I think there was seven people asked to do stand-up comedy. And I was one of the seven out of our graduating year without them even checking what stand-up comedy I would do, which was very crazy. And I guess humbling because they trusted that they recognized that I had talent in whatever I did. I was mainly the best at, uh, well, I, I would say I was the best at improv. I was really good on my feet, probably from the all the times that I would do Second City, but they asked me to do stand-up comedy I was in some sketches and and whatnot. Um, I was in a bad mood. I was pissed off at everyone and everything during that time. It was the height of, was it the early 2000s? Everyone was an edgelord. And I thought the edgiest thing I could have done in my stand-up was go up there on stage and make fun of the whole program and explain to everyone why the whole college was a waste of time and waste of money. Now, obviously that wasn't, in hindsight, that wasn't a great idea because uh, all it basically excommunicated me from the whole comedy, uh, comedy program and the whole comedy scene in Toronto. All my teachers were pissed off at me because I humiliated them in front of people they invited, talent scouts and people that they invited that could have gave me a job in the industry. And, uh, and it was pretty much career death. I, I, I suicided on stage uh, my comedy career in some aspect. Even though afterwards, a lot of people came up to me and said, wow, that takes a lot of balls to be able to do that. Um, but uh, my teachers were all pissed off at me. 
and I just pretty much disappeared in the comedy scene after that. Um, after that, we were living in Toronto. I was living with, at the time, I was living with my sister who just came back from Israel, and we were sharing some condo downtown Toronto. I was a hardcore pothead at that point, smoking a lot of weed, um, waiting for, I think, San, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas just came out. So I was just sitting at home playing that, and I would work at the bookstore um, chapters on Steels and Young that doesn't exist anymore. There's a big chapters on Steels and Young. That was my job. I would work there, started there doing the periodicals. Then um, I quickly, even though I worked there for only a few months, but um, it was actually not a bad job. It was pretty good. It was a pretty fun job. I enjoyed working with media, with books and stuff like that. All my coworkers and stuff were, were great people. And um, that was that. Um, then my sister, she had her wedding. She was getting married. And my other sister, who was living in Japan, she was teaching English in Japan, she came back to Canada for the wedding. And that's when that opportunity arised uh, where um, she said, hey, she's in between contracts, the one that was in Japan. She's in between contracts and ha will have an extra apartment for a couple of months because her previous contract gave her an apartment. So she said, well, if you're not doing anything, do you want to come and live in Japan for a couple of months um, and, and take, take advantage of this opportunity? And I was like, hell yeah. I already love Japanese culture um, because at that time, Japanese culture was internet culture. That was the weird culture of online internet in the early 2000s. We got to see pictures and unique things from that uh from that world, even though it's a small slice of maybe a part of Tokyo, it doesn't really represent all of Japan, but I had that opportunity and I looked into what I needed to do to go there. Um, I went and got, uh, uh, I had to get a traveler's checks to show that I had a certain amount of money. Basically you had to have traveler's checks with a couple thousand dollars just to show that you have enough money to be able to fly back home and show the consulate and you can get as a canadian i believe canadians anyone that was part of the commonwealth so if you were a canadian if you were from new zealand if you were from australia uh you had the opportunity to get uh up to six months visa in japan as a working holiday visa i believe well I, it's maximum six months or maybe it's maximum, maybe it's six months and then you renew it for another one. Anyways, I had intentions of just going there for a month. I didn't think I would be that that long. And that was when I believe the first time you flew with me, right? When yeah. we went there, you yes. came with me, right? Yes. I think that you flew yeah. with me. And I remember it was my birthday. I was turning 22, I think, on the flight there. Um you probably don't remember. No, no, I don't remember. But I was turning, I believe, 22 or 21 years old. I was turning in the flight, and we landed in Japan. And I I was there before. I was able to go to Japan there uh, once before, or maybe once or twice before, 
to visit my sister because she lived there for a while. She lived there for nine years, I think. Yeah. So, but that was there to stay. And we got there. Um, I don't remember how long you were there for that first time. I don't think you were there for that long. I think you were there for like a week or two. No, more than three weeks. Or three so. weeks? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember you that time when you were there. I guess we were just like visiting and seeing people for the first time and whatnot. Um, but, uh, but that was that. Um, so I was there. I wanted to stay there longer, but I knew I needed to get a job to be able to sustain myself there. And um, that was just dumb luck getting a job there. Uh, there was the down. So this, let me give some more preference. So we were in the city of Hamamatsu, which is in the prefecture of Shizuoka. Hamamatsu is known to be the city of music because that was the birthplace of companies like Yamaha and Roland. Um, that's where they make the Yamaha uh, grand pianos because the world headquarters is there. It's a beautiful, beautiful city about the size of Hamilton, Ontario. So it's not, it's actually not big uh, when you take into account what cities in Japan are like, um, but it's not that small either. So, um, so that was, I was, um, there was a community center. Well, no, there was a town hall in Hamamatsu. At the town hall, there was a, a message board, like a physical bulletin board, message board. And I and there was one for foreigners. So it had stuff in English. People would advertise there if they were um, becoming a, a, if they wanted to give like private lessons. And that was where my first gig it was. I made a poster and I posted this up where I was offering private lessons private English lessons as a Canadian. And I think I got one or two bites, but someone contacted me and asked me if I wanted a full-time job. And they asked me to meet at the same place. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, wow. Okay, here's an opportunity. So I went down and it was, um, it was a, a Brazilian, it was a Brazilian person and so, especially that city of Hamamatsu has history with Brazilians. Um, so, uh, well, World War II, when it, right before World War II, there was a lot, the Brazilian government advertised in Japan uh, uh, that Brazil is open for Japanese immigration and that Brazil is this land of opportunity and whatnot. So a lot of Japanese went to Brazil and then just got stuck there. And uh, so they had generations of people that uh, grew up in Japan, I mean, in Brazil, that were Japanese. Um, but afterwards, the Japanese government made a special agreement, made a special visa where if you're up to third generation from those Japanese uh, immigrants, you can come to Japan on a special work visa. And they were able to basically, they were, they were skilled, lower paid labor for the factories. 
So whenever you see uh, made in Japan for Sony PlayStation or well, whatever, any of these electronics and stuff like that, they are made in Japan, but not by quote-unquote Japanese. They're made by, by Brazilians. So there was a big Brazilian population, and most of them... The most of those workers, because there was so many factories and whatnot, like Honda factories, Nissan factories, and Suzuki factories in Shizuoka, in that prefecture, there was a huge Brazilian population in Hamamatsu. So um, this the Brazilian gentleman, when I first met him, uh, he told me that he just uh, him and some of his investors, they just uh, rented, they leased this. Uh, office building in downtown Hamamatsu. It was right downtown Hamamatsu. And he's he wants to open a, a, a English school, an evening English school. So for children or adults, an evening uh, school program. And he was looking for teachers to come and start this thing. And for me, I didn't really, I was like, yeah, 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 I, I have experience in Canada and I was an improviser. I was a comedian. I was an actor. I was able to just you know, a little bit embellish the fact that I was qualified to do this when I really wasn't qualified to do this. Um, uh, he hired me because he saw that I was very personable. I was able to talk on my feet. I was very friendly. I was able to talk slowly for English as a second language people. He hired me, and then he hired a British gentleman named Martin to work there. And this guy, from the beginning, we realized this Brazilian guy had no idea what he was doing. He had no clue. He just had a blank check, and he had no clue how to... He could barely speak English. He could not speak English. Hmm. He had, a like I think, a fiancé. I don't know if they were married. Um, who could speak a little bit better English. She was Brazilian too. And then from what I understood, uh, he was from a rich family in Brazil that owned a hotel, I think a Sheridan hotel in, in Brazil, in like Sao Paulo or something like that. But then he came to Japan because I guess he got cut off the funding or something. He came to Japan and he and him and his girlfriend worked at a pachinko parlor and they made most of their money working at a pachinko parlor, just being the servers there. And uh, they lived in the pachinko parlor, too. So they told me li they were hesitant to tell me that part of the story. But a lot of the money they saved from the pachinko parlor and they made contacts and networking and stuff like that, that they got all this money, and there was money from Brazil coming to start this business, this English school. And they had no clue. So they told us that, um, they told us that, okay, we need you to like set up a system. So me and this British guy, we had to set up the scheduling system for the secretary. How to, uh, we had to go to the bookstore. We were paid to do this. We'd go to the bookstore and look for textbooks to use to teach. Like we had to, we created the school by scratch mm -hmm. and most of it was from the British guy because he, he had more experience. He came like my sister, he came with the jet program. Oh. So that's the program that was popular. It was called jet where you get English speaking people. And it was, it was co with the uh, ministry of education of Japan 
to teach people. So he was somewhat understood how how to teach more than me. I was kind of coming along with the ride and like pretending I understood. I was more personable and I was able to like keep people. I was like, I went to clown college, so I knew how to keep everyone happy and uh, entertained. So we had the school all set up. We got that thing going and um, customers started to come in. And uh, for after, I think, a couple of months, it wasn't too successful. And one day, the owner asked me, and it was very peculiar, asked me, can I come and help him get something from his car, lift something from his car? I was like, okay, why just me? But he's like specifically picked me. And me and um, my coworker, the British guy, we were sitting in the lunchroom or in our like little office thing. So we, I go down and then he tells me, he's like, I want to tell you that I'm going to have to fire the other guy because all our, we don't have that many customers or clients or students and all the students are just requesting to be with you. And I felt gutted. I felt horrible because the coworker, he was the guy who knew how to do everything. He taught me how to do everything. And he was the guy who set up the whole school system. So I was like, I'm the charlatan. I'm the person that is just the actor pretending he knows, trying my best to be like a teacher, pretending that I know how to do everything, but have imposter syndrome. And I don't really know how to teach grammar and all this stuff. Uh, I felt miserable. And he's like, don't tell him. Uh, we're going to tell him in a week. And I'm like, well, why are you telling me? We just want you to know. So immediately when I walked back, my coworker's not dumb. He said, what was that all about? And I said, they're going to fire you. I told him immediately. I'm like, they're going to fire you. And he's like, oh. he's like, I, I saw that coming. And then he thanked me for being honest and telling him. And I said, I just explained to him what happened. And, um, and that's what happened. He got fired. There was no hard feelings between us. I continued working there and we became successful. I was like their like a free I almost felt like a freak show. I was like I got to do what I wanted to do, which was being an entertainer. Yeah. And I was working in Japan, but I was like entertaining like a class of like mixed Brazilian Japanese people, Japanese people. And as I was doing it, I was learning because I was repeating doing these lessons out of these textbooks. I was learning the material and I was able to effectively teach people because I just kept them laughing, kept them entertained. I kept thinking of drama classes and acting school of just pacing, pacing, pacing. I was just improvising. That's it. I've been there. A couple of times you took me your place. You've been to the school. Uh, yeah, yeah. High school. But now I feel you are, you was so good. Every person in that they love you and they take you for restaurant and even invited me to. Re yeah, all my students. Yeah, they love you. I can see that. Well, that yeah, it, it, I was. I felt that I had, which I didn't understand. I thought it was just because I was all my skill. All my skills from comedy school came to applied perfectly to yes. it. 
and in the end, I realized I had a natural talent yes, to teaching. Yeah. I want to say that. I did have a natural, but when you start doing stuff, you have imposter syndrome. And in this case, it was even more so imposter syndrome because in reality, to be qualified to teach English in Japan, you needed a ma I needed a bachelor's My degree. And at that point, I just had a comedy school degree. I did not have a bachelor's of arts or anything yep. at that time. Yep. And that was the biggest secret I held because I wasn't supposed to go. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to teach there legally. And later on, and since it's been over 10 years, I can talk about this stuff because it's past the yeah. statute of limitations. Yeah. At a certain point, I wanted to stay there longer than one year because I realized I loved I loved Japan, loved that lifestyle, loved working there. Mm. Everything was going good. I was finally, that was the first time I had a proper full-time job and I was making a good salary. At that time, I was just what? Some, like my comedy school degree and I was, uh, had a full, I was like 21 years old, 22 years old. And I had a full-time job, a low-rent apartment, and I was making, I think, $3,000 uh, cash American per month. And in Japan. And in Japan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in Japan. So it was, it was amazing. So I wanted to stay there longer, but to stay there longer, you needed... The working holiday visa was only up to, I think, you, it was six months and you could renew it for another six months and then it was done. Then you needed to leave the country for oh, six months. I didn't know that. So I did something dubious. Mm -hmm. I made up the, I made up my credentials. I made up the fact yeah. that I went to university. I made it up. And I submitted it to the immigration. Oh. And that was when, when I had to submit it through my work. Basically, it was a work visa sponsor. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was sweat. I was, that was the scariest moment in my life because they had my passport yeah. and they had a Photoshop degree, a Photoshop degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was, Usually it takes one month to find out if you got the stamp in your visa and in your passport, you mm -hmm. got that stamp and you could stay there that in 18 days, I got a letter that you need to go and show up at the, at the uh, city hall at the immigration center. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Holy crap. And I remember that was the longest moment in my life. I had to go with my boss and we rode, we rode on like a motorcycle or something strange to the place. And then we sat there and we sat there and then it was getting longer and longer. Everyone left. It was closed. I was sweating because I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to go to jail now. Because if you, if you get caught forging documents to the, to the government, you go to prison for six months and then they extradite you back to Canada or whatever. So I was like, this is it. I'm screwed. They closed everything. There was security guards walking around. They walk the door. I'm just sitting there. And they finally call up my name. And I'm like, this is it. <laughs> Game over. And I walk up there. And it was some guy. 
he was pretending like he knew English and like looking at my English documents and pretending like he was doing something important, but I could tell that he was just acting. It was just that he didn't know what the heck he was doing. Just looked around, made it like mm, uh, uh, grunted and then stamped my visa. I was done. Yeah. I was over to go. And after that, I thought I was king. After that, the ego in me just went up the roof. I thought I was bulletproof. And when someone's in their early 20s, they think that they're unstoppable. This basically solidified the fact that I'm a rock star. I was able to fool everyone, and now I have this great job, and I've got a, a passport that's stamped for three years in Japan. I got the golden ticket. I won. So that started that journey working there, and it was fun. Those were some of the best times of my life yes. for certain. Yes. And um, and the other funny thing was that I didn't even work for, I didn't even work for that place for too long. Um, this, another Brazilian, a Brazilian teacher would come to the school and they were my student. And I thought it was very suspicious because they could speak English pretty well. And apparently they were like a vice principal to another school, mm -hmm. like an actual Brazilian college, collegiate school. And I was like, what's going on? And then the person asked me in the middle of the class, uh -huh. do you want to work for our school? So this other person well, came as a student uh -huh. and stole me away, yeah. took me to their school, and they signed, they gave me double the money than my salary. And I remember my boss was an asshole. He would say business is business all the time. He would say business is business. And I did not have a contract. So I didn't have a, any problem whatsoever going to the guy, to the school. Yeah. And I told them too, I said, look, I have this other job opportunity. They're offering me this much money. I want to come and tell you guys first, can't, are you going to, if you match that salary, mm -hmm. then I'll stay here. If not, no. And he said, no, he can't. And I went and I started working at another school there. During that time was when you came and visit. Cause yeah. I remember I kept telling you, come and visit, come yeah. and come, come and visit. I got some problem here. What was the problem? Big problem. I was uh, doing this with this star. Maria or this thing. Yeah, problem was there for my passport and this thing. Do you want to talk about it? I did something. Uh, and so I you couldn't have, you couldn't cross the, it wasn't, the you had some legal uh, trouble, uh, right? Yeah, legal problem and I got to go to the court and they tell me six months after six months and the time they give uh, and I was uh, drunk always is but uh, but I was I couldn't uh, come sooner because you insisted me come and they because first time when I come no problem I came like that and uh, I enjoy but uh, I am I want to tell you about the uh, when you were in a uh, Humber College, I was hurt a couple of times. That's my 
because you were really now you explain or understand that you were so weird that when I come visit you I was homeless and I couldn't go anywhere. I thought at least at night I sleep in your place but you both time another time I came cook for those uh, many people you were there for and they uh, rip you off and rip me off to that uh, Indian and Japanese student, many people I remember. The second time when I came, you've been with your friend and I expected I stay at night at 12 o'clock. I had no car, I came visit you by bus and then at midnight you told me no, get out. <laughs> And I went to my friend, thanks God, because uh, the train underground was up to 2 o'clock, and I got there exactly 2, walking, went to his house. I phoned before that, and they kept the open the room for me, and that was weird uh, because I feel hurt. But then, when you are talking now, I come down. When I came to uh, Japan and saw you do, do teaching and they love you and you got lots of friends and some, some guy from another uh, country, from Peru, I call him Chico. He was so good and all the friends and all Japanese, so great, so lovely. I love that country. I still, I just know before I come visit you here, I talk with one of Japanese always in there. And that's it. Uh, yeah, but I was so happy you got in that situation. I wish you stay forever, for all your life. What's the reason you left? Well, for me, it was, okay, well, first of all, remember that time, so we were getting to that story. There was a great story that I was trying to lead you towards, um, but you kind of deflected there, was um, when you came, remember at the airport, you said that you had to pass through United States, and how we all know that if you have a criminal record, the USA, you get a problem going there. Yeah. So remember that story uh, you I told us that you were myself? detained? Yeah, remember you oh. were in, you were in... They had oh, a translator oh, come? Atlanta? No, no. I was stopped in, uh, where it was that? Was it Detroit? Was Detroit, it Detroit? Yeah, Detroit. And they checked my shoes. They checked everything. And then they told me I got to not allowed to come for a stopping there, uh, for the changing the uh, aeroplane. And that guy would guard or secure person look like uh, American, but he was Iranian, <laughs> and told me what is going on. I said, I forgot long back when I was drunk, I was some problem with legal or something. Why you are not telling us? Well, I said, long while I forgot, and he fixed it after they keep me, but the plane stopped for me for maybe half an hour, and they helped me. The Japanese uh, helped me to go ahead. 
Yeah, Anyways, that. and I remember you landed and we picked you up from the airport and then you were at my apartment there and uh, you, you just finished telling my, me that story and you were... You were oh, wearing oh. always that vest. You would wear this oh, like hunting oh, yeah, vest yeah. that you would yeah, say it was yeah. your terrorist vest. Yes, yes. Which uh, was ridiculous to wear that through the airport. Anyways, I remember you were wa- you were getting everything ready to wash. Yeah. And you were emptying out all the pockets in this yes. vest. It was like a fishing vest. It had like many, many yeah. pockets. And then I remember your face just went completely white. And you were in complete shock and i was like what what's going oh, on yeah. and you pulled out this massive joint this marijuana joint that was in your yes, in your coat not, pocket yeah, was oh. in your pocket and you were like holy crap you went through all that interrogation all that and yes homeland yes. security and you had a a, a yeah, weed yeah, joint in your pocket yeah. i forgot to smoke it in a porto my landlord gave me that. And always we smoke together, and then he gave me extra. I save it for when I am home. And I forgot to, and I came exactly today, just now I, I found that vest, and I remember that. So remember that, but that was weird. That was really. As, and you told me if they catch me there, even yeah, you would have been screwed. Yeah, yeah. Um, cannabis is the same level as being like having heroin on you. So we ended up as a victory during that yeah, night. Yeah. We smoked that <laughs> yeah, that uh, yeah, that yeah, that joint, yeah. and uh, yes, and that yeah. that was probably the craziest yeah, thing yes, yes. that we ever experienced. And. Um, that wasn't the last time with uh, cannabis in Japan. So one of the big reasons uh, I wanted to... Yeah. What's that noise? You're just like... Eh. No, this is... <laughs> no, there's nothing like It's just you're breathing in it. Anyways, the thing was um, cannabis uh, was illegal in Japan. And part of me was that I wanted to go to Japan because I thought that that would be a way of stopping smoking is I'd be forced to stop smoking when I go there. Um, however, I ended up, ended up, you actually mailed me seeds, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. You, you told me put it in a seed, what they call those uh, vegetable seed or something. Yeah. I did that something. And you, you mailed it to Japan. Yeah, yeah. I mean. And I ended up growing quite a bit of uh, cannabis in my closet, my sliding closet, which was the first time I ever grew uh, cannabis there. And it was quite of a, it was a risk, but I thought about it so much to how can I do this so that I would never get caught and, and, and was so meticulous about making sure that everything was perfect in that scenario, I was able to get all the equipment from the dollar store in yeah. Japan yeah. Uh, and uh, ended up growing quite a bit. And um, that also led me into many connections with the other side of, of Japan, the nightlife and the, and the musicians and all these other people. It actually put me into like a different class of people 
um, being able to procure, create this, this stuff, which was crazy. That was a, and I think what happens is people get addicted to taking risks. Once you take one risk, you just want to take another risk and another risk because it becomes this thrill. And I know like you, you see a lot of like entrepreneurs and business people going skydiving or bungee jumping and all doing all these things because that gets you out of your comfort zone so that you're willing to take more and more risks. So this, this ended up taking, I was taking tons of risks, but it, it did teach me a lesson though for not a bad lesson, but for sure, I would say that addiction is always bad. Obviously we've proven through this podcast that addiction runs deep through this family and it can be a negative thing. However, taking chances, taking good chances is smart because it can lead to something even better if you don't make that, that leap or that risk. And by the end of my whole journey in Japan, I was living good. I was working maybe six hours a week. And I was at that time, I was working at Yamaha World Headquarters. So I had this amazing job. It was through Time Life. I was a one on one teacher, which I was just, I would go to the World Headquarters of Yamaha, which was this, it looked like a temple. It was this most beautiful, beautiful, building it's this old building i would go go inside they had it was like a museum they had like the first yamaha piano that was a, a from france or something that mr yamaha carried to tokyo on his on his like horse or whatever to learn how to fix <clears throat> and all i had to do is sit down one-on-one -on -one with one of the the human resources for the international yamaha companies and just have conversation with him, practice conversation, have, we would just sit there and have a beer and eat snacks and have chit chat, small talk, talk about the news and whatnot. I also worked at Suzuki world headquarters and I taught, um, the systems engineers at Suzuki headquarters and it was just conversation for fun. And once again, all my skills from improv and comedy that was what was applied to and what made me more and more successful. So it was an amazing life. And to answer your question of why did I choose to come back? Yeah. Well, at that point, I, I told myself that, um, I told myself that, uh, well, if I'm able to become this successful this quickly in another country in Japan, why can't I do this in my own goddamn country? Why can't I do this in Canada? And I said to myself that if I stay here doing this, I will forever feel like a charlatan. Cause I saw the other, I saw the other foreigners around us and they, they were all, they did not seem like people that were talented in any way. They just saw people, they were just people who could speak English and found this as an easy way of life, an easy way to make money based off of the fact that they just know how to speak English. And I did not find that admirable. I didn't see that as a challenge. Yeah, that wasn't good enough for me. And I was, I, I thought that 
I would always in the back of my head would be thinking, why am I not doing what I want to do in Canada? Why am I, I would always have a regret if I did that. So I did not feel good about it. And I was like, okay, some of it also was, well, my sister and her kid and everything, they were leaving back too. And there was a lot of negativity there too. Like everyone was like, oh, Japan sucks. Let's go back to Canada. Da, 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 da. And that was like, some of that was uncalled for. I'm sure if I stayed in Japan from that time, I would have been one of those billionaire millionaires. Yes, wouldn't have, yes. You wouldn't have saw me anymore. I would have been like, I would have been this like, yeah. this like hidden hidden uh person that has a lot of wealth and all this stuff but um in the end i came back to canada and i already had my good friends already had jobs lined up as soon as i came off the airplane i had a great job uh at Uh, at this nearby and um it it was it was fine it was fine and the irony of that was I then ended up going to university and getting my bachelor's degree and then my master's degree. And then I ended up becoming a professor and what have you. So I did accomplish all those things that I already had when I was over like 15 years ago. (laughs) But now I really do have that in Canada. No, I'm, yeah, no, you explain good. So I feel I wanted to do everything right. Because I got to do yeah, everything honest. the Inside easy way. Me. I got to do the easy way. I exactly. cheated my way to that point. Even though I do agree I had the talent yes. because I saw the other people who had degrees. And degrees are, honestly, they can yeah, be meaningless. Meaning. They can be meaningless. Yeah. It is what you put in. Yes. Yeah. But still, that fact of being Wrong. able to have the paper, I can do that too. I can do that too. I can cross that off my yeah, list. That you did it. I can yeah, do that too. Yeah, yes. I'm so happy for that. Now you explain everything because I am so mad why you left uh, Japan. It's old country, like uh, ancient history. is beautiful, more than my old country. Much better. And I love well, not anymore. I mean, I dodged a bullet there. Since right when I left, yeah. the economy in Japan tanked. And then at even yeah. more. So during that time, yeah. all those big schools, they stopped paying some of the teachers because the economy started tanking. When I came here, it was what? It was a 2008. Yeah. It was the big recession in the USA. And all everything Effect, just yeah, like yeah, affected yeah, everything. Yes, yeah. All the economics of everything went downfall. And then when I was at uh, Brock, when I started uh, university, my bachelor's degree, that was the big shift in manufacturing. Was Japan wasn't the big contender anymore, and it shifted to South Korea. South yeah, Korea yeah, became yeah, yeah. now everything instead of Sony and Honda and Toyota, yeah. it became LG, Hyundai, Kia. It completely changed. So Japan's economy is not, it, it's not, I got, I'm thankful that I got to experience Japan at the peak level, okay. at the peak. That was before, before the smartphone came out, yeah. before the iPhone came out was that experience where Japan already had smartphones at that time. I got to enjoy the peak of that ideal version of Japan that people in the 90s, people in the 80s and 90s 
would envision in in movies and TV and the internet mm -hmm. during that time of the early 2000s. So I'm very thankful for being able to enjoy that. And I have no regrets coming back, coming back to Canada. I have no regrets afterwards. I know when the times get tough, you're like, oh, I shoulda, woulda, coulda. But in the end, it doesn't matter. I have no regrets with that. I'm as selfish myself because I like the can and uh, Hamamutsu or Japan for the weather for similar. It was an excuse for here. you to visit. It was yeah, an excuse exactly. for you to go really, there. And I can <laughs> stay there with you and all lots of friends. I enjoy and you show me everything. Even my daughter show me all, all the city, everything. And that's. No, thanks, son. You explain, you open. I didn't know that. That's why I was silent and everything. And I told, I relieved like a psychology. You know, I'm well, clean. The only other big thing about that was, but, so um, a lot of other important things happened in Japan. When I was in Japan, that was the time that I was able to afford uh, a Mac computer. That was a big deal for me. Um, I was able to get my first MacBook, that black MacBook, and it was crazy. I ordered it from uh, Apple of Japan, mm -hmm. and I had to go to the bank and get someone to teach me how to wire money in. And uh, I was able to get that, and that was the laptop, and that was the time when I was in Japan was when I first signed up to YouTube. YouTube and Gmail first created and first started to come out while I was in Japan. It was near the it was like the early time transition into web 2.0 yeah. and that was when i got iMovie and i started to like play around and and learn how to edit videos so that when i came back to canada mm -hmm. that was the whole mentality when i came back to canada i was like my dream is to make movies and make videos and i wanted to make it big in my own country mm -hmm. and i did that Using the laptop, that was when we first made the oh. Pidava Pissar videos. We made the first Senke Pressi Bipine Job. Yeah, yeah. was when I came back from Japan to live in Canada. It was at my cousin's house. Yeah. We filmed that. And, right away. and that's where it yeah. started. Our success started. And during the 2008, that was the big recession where I lost my good job. I lost everything. But then I came back to my senses of, well, what do I want to do is make videos and that's 2008 was when we started to make Pedava Pissar. It was during that time. Yeah, where I was yeah. Back on the couch, back home. At least I had my laptop from Japan, a little bit of money to float me. And we just got busy making videos every exactly. week, yeah. making yeah. videos every week. And that led to where we are right yes, now. Yes, that yes. led to so many other things. Making those videos led to me getting my my uh, bachelor's, getting my master's. It led to me so many opportunities, meeting so many people, opened all those doors. And I did that. I did what I said I would do, even though it wasn't how I pictured it, but it was still sticking to that path uh, through thick and thin, through like any hardship. I just kept going. And even when I felt like I wasn't going, it's still just like something was pulling me forward and led the way. And best opportunity for me, you make me more be with you. 
And, you know, you came there in Porto, I, we make something, we have uh, some hope. You gave me hope, alive. It still make me alive. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. It gave you something to do. Gave you, you gave yeah, you purpose, um, right? I gave purpose, you purpose. I feel I am somebody. Well, there I'm you go. Some, yeah, I'm somebody. I mean, that's really. what I wanted to do. I yeah, wanted to yeah, make you did, uh, make. A, yeah. I wanted to show that anyone could be a celebrity. Anyone could be miracle. It was for me some, you know, miracle. You did that. For me, it was a lot of hard work. Yes, it was. <laughs> it still is hard. I am old now. Thank you, son. You are amazing. I don't know. You are more than amazing. And that's the reason, always I say, the reason I am alive, I am happy when I see you. You are successful, man. Successful. And that's pretty much the story of how Pedava Pesach started. Yeah, it started. Let's, let's continue somehow different, no? <laughs> Um, um well that's a, that's another story in itself yeah. that's another story in itself that'll be what we'll talk about next week baba that's for next oh, week oh, okay okay anyways thank you very much baba thank you thank you it got a little awkward at the end there but it gives us plenty to talk about next week so please join us next week uh, for episode eight of the Pidava Pissar podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Leave a review, leave a rating. We'd much appreciate some feedback. Take care. <laughs>